Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. If you are just joining us, if you're joining us online, if you've never been here before, my name is Pastor Angel. I have the privilege today of just bringing God's word to you. But I got to be honest, Pastor Andre has me all in my head now. I, I feel like we should take a, a poll, only I won't because I know you're afraid of being judged because I feel judged now. Because I am like, I think I'm a generous person and I do not, I feel like everybody wants a tip now. Like you go to Taco Bell and they turn it around. There's one more question we have to ask for you. And I'm like, what? Do you want my soul? No, you want a tip. Like do your job. I know that's so mean. I'm so sorry. But like for me, tipping because they made like $2 an hour, right? Some of you are takeout people and you're like, I'm leaving this church. I'm never coming back. I'm so sorry. I will tip from now on. Lord, you got it. Whatever you need. I, I, I literally am like, I don't know. Pastor John is gone this morning. He is, is down in Washington. He would be sad he's not here because last week I teased that he was going to start a petition to end the whole like spring forward, fall back. And what happened? The Senate passed a bill and we don't have to do that anymore. Praise Jesus, right? So he would be like, the man of God has spoken. Alas, you're welcome. <laughs> Listen. We've been going through, Pastor Andre referenced it, our book, our, our Bible chronologically, and this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy, and I'm so pumped, I'm so pumped about this book. Um, I was telling somebody recently, when you've not read the Bible chronologically, it's like you've been watching all the sequels, and you're missing out on so much, right? You just have so many questions, well, like, why are you saying this again? Didn't you already say that? Why is this in here? What does this mean? But I feel like reading it chronologically has answered so many of those questions. And for me particularly, the book of Deuteronomy has just taken on a whole new meaning. And I've loved every minute of it, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you guys about it this morning. But truly, just want to encourage you to jump in on that chronological reading plan because it gives you so much depth, so much context that you're missing out on having not had done it before. But let's just pray, and then we're going to jump in to God's word this morning. Father, I just thank you. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful, God, that it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I just pray fresh revelation today. God, I pray that you would anoint these words, your words. I submit wholly and fully unto you, God, whatever you want to speak, whatever you want to do. But I pray you would anoint their ears. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive a deposit from our Father in heaven today. We love you and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. So the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth and final book of the Torah. It's also known as the Pentateuch. And as we look at this book, the word actually means second law. Somebody say second law. Second law. It means second law because it's essentially comprised of these three speeches or these three sermons that Moses gives to this new generation of Israelites. In it, he recounts the law that has previously already been given, hence the translation second law. I honestly thought about going so many different directions today, and there's just so much good stuff, and so I just, I wrestled with what to share because there's so much there. Ultimately, I landed in this place that I really feel is just truest to who I am, 
But before we get into that, I really, if you haven't been here, I want to kind of just set this scene. Maybe you, you are just joining us, just joining us online, just pick this video at random, or maybe you just haven't been paying attention. So I want to set this scene for you, okay? You laugh, but you know it's true. <laughs> God has chosen and established for himself a people, a people through whom which his unrelenting love, the story of his unrelenting love and great power will be told through the rest of the world for the rest of time. He's called this people Israel. He has appointed Moses to be their leader. And through Moses, God has, has led his people on this journey. He has rescued them from bondage and, and oppression and slavery from Egypt. And now Moses has led them on this 40-year journey through the wilderness. We learned a couple weeks ago it should have taken 11 days, but, but nonetheless, they've been there for 40 years. But in this time, God has consistently and continually revealed himself and his nature and his character to his people time and time again. And yet, despite that, they continue to persist in their chronic disobedience and stubborn rebellion. This results in an entire generation of them dying in the wilderness. You know, we've said that and you've heard that, but please don't miss the gravity of the death toll here. Because most scholars estimate that that generation would have totaled about 1.2 million people. 1,200,000 people over the span of 40 years averages out to be, I'm with Pastor Andre, math is not my thing, but I did the work averages out to be about 85 funerals a day, seven deaths every waking hour. We know from the reading that not all of these were individual deaths. Some of them happened in large groups of people due to a specific rebellion. But nonetheless, this is a 40-year reminder of what Paul will later write in the New Testament, that the wages of sin is death. That a life governed by the flesh always leads to death. But as we pick up the story today in the book of Deuteronomy, we find the children and the grandchildren of those rescued, led out of Egypt on the cusp of the promised land. Think about it like this. <laughs> Imagine you, two million of your closest friends and family, Decide to caravan together to Disneyland, right? The happiest place on earth. Unless you're me, in which case it would be like a jungle in Costa Rica with no cell phone service, and it's not <laughs> Disneyland on the other side, but it's like a waterfall. That would be my promised land. But for the rest of you psychopaths who like amusement parks, <laughs> we're going to stick with Disneyland. Long lines, lots of people, I don't get it. We're sticking with Disneyland. So you and two million of your closest friends and family decide to caravan to Disneyland. And your leader, Siri, for whatever reason, continues to reroute you <laughs> so often and so much that what should have taken 11 years has now taken, or 11 days has now taken 40 years. The question, are we there yet, has reached an annoyance level of epic proportions. In fact, when you hear it, like everything in you just wants to jab an elbow, person closest to you. But nonetheless, you have finally arrived. Alas, you have made it to the parking lot of the happiest place on earth. And on the other side of the gate, you can see the castle 
and smell the funnel cakes and hear the excitement. At which point, the leader of your caravan stands up to deliver some final thoughts. And for the next two months, as you stand in the parking lot, he delivers what I believe are some of the most powerful and impactful words of the Old Testament. And I'm not alone in this because the book of Deuteronomy is referenced throughout the rest of Scripture over 300 times. So this is an important book. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Please appreciate the gravity of this journey and the excitement. Even as talking to John, he's like, I'm so glad you're preaching this week because I can't wait to get to Joshua. Right? So, so the excitement is there. We're on the cusp of this promise. So remember, this book is made up of three different speeches. And in these speeches, Moses addresses three specific things with the people. Their past, their present, and their promise. Let me say that again for those of you taking notes. Their past, their present, and their promise. In other words, he's going to take a look at the journey that led them to where they find themselves right now. He's going to address the law, which is to determine how they should presently be living. And then he's going to to give them this prophetic word, really, that is known as the promise if they continue, depending really on how they choose to move forward from this place. Now, like I said, I wrestled with which way to go, how to, to present this for you today. But for me, the book of Deuteronomy just reads like a really good therapy session. Stay with me. For those of you who don't know, by trade, by profession, I'm a therapist. But as I'm reading this book, you guys, if you've ever been to therapy, you know that what makes a really good therapist is not how much they talk to let you know how wise they are, right? It's not how jacked up they tell you you are. What makes a really good therapist is the questions that they ask. Because a really good therapist is going to ask you the questions that's going to cause you to evaluate your past through a different lens. It's going to cause you to stop and consider how you're currently living your life. And they're going to ask questions that are going to challenge you to look beyond today and consider the life that you're heading towards. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to address four very important questions that we face in the book of Deuteronomy. But here's what I want you to know. These are not one-and-done questions. In fact, I want you to write these questions down. I want you to stow them away in your Bible. Most of you, it's on your phone. Put it in your wallet. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your forehead. I don't care. But I want you to constantly come back to these questions, really as just a self-care check-in, and constantly come back and honestly answer these questions. So let's take a look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 1. The first couple of verses, Moses is just setting the scene setting the stage. We've already done that. So we're going to jump in and we're going to start at verse 6. Maybe it's verse 7 actually. Go ahead and put that scripture up. Verse 6. This is how Moses starts out his address to the people. And he says this. He says, when we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to go back. Not you're ahead of me. I know John reads faster than I do. It's time to break camp and move on. Somebody say break camp and move on. 
break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and all the neighboring regions, the Jordan Valley. Now you can go ahead. The hill country, the western foothills, the Negev, the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, all the way to the great Euphrates River. Break camp and move on. It's time to break camp. You've stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. The very first question that we're going to ask ourselves this morning and from this point forward is, is it time to move on? Moses starts this address to the people by letting them know, listen, you need to know that your God has absolutely no problem letting you know when you've been camped somewhere too long and it's time to move on. Have you ever stayed somewhere too long? Yeah. Have you ever stayed in, in the place too long and God comes to you and he says, listen, enough, enough is enough, it's time to move on. Maybe he comes through the voice of a friend or a family member who says, listen, you need to move on. You need to move on from that heartbreak. You need to move on from that loss. Maybe it was a loss of life, a loss of relationship, the loss of a season. It's time to move on. It's time to move on from those father wounds and those mother wounds and those generational iniquities. It's time to move on from the lies and the insecurity, from the isolation and the codependent relationships. It's time to move on from those toxic cycles that you've been stuck in. It's time to move on from the betrayals of your past and those 12-foot walls that you have up and nobody's allowed to come through. It's time to move on. You've been in that long enough. Sometimes that can feel harsh, right? Like, dang, God. When that message is being delivered to you, Here's what you need to know. When God comes to you and he says, listen, enough is enough. You're done. It's time to move on. The time for being a victim is over. Get up off of that bed. Get up out of that couch and move on. Move forward. And listen, when God says that, it's not because he's being mean or heartless or harsh. It's because he loves you too much to leave you in that place. Moses is talking to this generation, and this is the new generation, right? They likely would have grown up hearing all about the oppression and the slavery, all about the hard times, all about the genocide of all the, the, the Israelite baby boys, all the trauma. They would have grown up hearing about the plagues. They would have grown up hearing about just how hard this was. But don't miss the context clues of Moses' message here. Because put that scripture back up for me. Look at when Moses tells them it's time to move on. When, when he's recounting what God said, go back to the first verse. He tells them, when we were at Mount Sinai. Somebody say Mount Sinai. When we were at Mount Sinai, God said, look, you're done. It's time to move on. Remember from Exodus 19, Mount Sinai is the first place that God revealed himself. It's where he gave them the Ten Commandments. It's where he said, listen, I'm your God and you're my people. I'm your God and I'm going to be faithful to you. That's why I'm giving you this covenant. That's why I'm establishing you. And if you could go bid, commit to these commandments, that shows your commitment to me. So Moses is giving them the context clues to let them know God's not mean and harsh. God's not heartless. It's not that he doesn't know what you've been through. He knows 
exactly what you've been through. But he's already pointing you to the provision, to the fact that, listen, I didn't bring you out of that place. I didn't deliver you from that thing just so that you could set up camp in a desolate place that will never produce fruit. I didn't bring you out of that place so you could lick the wounds of your past and never move forward. I brought you out of that place because I have promises for you. I've got plans for you, plans for your good and my glory, plans that were in my heart before you ever took your first breath. It's time to move on. It's time to move on, church. But God, why? He tells him in verse 8. Put that verse up. God, why do we have to move on? He says, look, I'm giving all of this land to you. Go in and occupy it. For it's the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to all their descendants. That's you. And he has the same message for you and me today. He sees you, church. He sees you, young person. He knows how hard that was. He knows how hard it is, maybe even now, to get up every day feeling defeated and overwhelmed and inadequate, unsure of the future. But you've been in this place long enough, and he wants you to know that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And just like he was faithful to them, he's going to be faithful to you. He's faithful to his people. He says there's an inheritance waiting for the people of God, but you've got to go in and occupy it. Do you know what it means to occupy? To occupy means to inhabit. That means you have to go and you have to live there. You have to dwell there. I think so often we treat the promises of God and the promise to taste and see that the Lord is good, like a trip to Coldstone. Have you ever been to Coldstone? And like they give you those stupid little spoons to taste the ice cream. Listen, first of all, don't taste the ice cream. Just get chocolate. If you're tasting that nat, like coffee ice cream, we went to Coldstone last week. Renee got coffee. If you want coffee, drink coffee. If you want ice cream, get chocolate. I've digressed. But we go to Coldstone and they give us those stupid little doll spoons to taste. Listen, we're not doll spoon people. We are gotta have it people. And God says, you gotta go in and you gotta live there. Don't just taste the promises, but you gotta move in and you gotta set up camp in that place. It's time to move on. Where are you living, church? Is it time to move on in your life? Question number two. What have you done with your freedom? What have you done with your freedom? See, it occurred to me as I was reading the text that as Moses recounts the journey that the Israelites have been on, his focus really is not on the oppressors. It's not on how big and bad and mean and ugly Egypt was. His focus is on them and what they've done with their freedom. He does this (laughs) so strategically by reminding them of what happened the last time that they were where they are right now, the last time that they were on the cusp of this promise. Remember, they sent out the spies, 10 of them came back, and they were like, no, nah, no way, not going to be able to do it. There's big, bad, hairy giants, nope, not going to be able to do it. And, and this is what God said when they came back. Go ahead and put up that scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30. This is what God had said to them at that time. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He's going to fight for you, just like you saw him do in Egypt. 
And you saw how the Lord cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. But even after all he did, you refuse to trust the Lord your God. Even after being set free, you refuse to live free. Go to that next one, Deuteronomy chapter 2. He says, the Lord your God has blessed you in everything you've done. He's watched your very step through this great wilderness. During these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Another passage in Deuteronomy says, listen, the whole time, your shoes never wore out, your clothes never wore out. God's been with you every step of the way. Moses is very direct in his summation that he gives to this new generation. Where he says, listen, here's all the ways that God has provided for our people after our deliverance. And here was their response. He, he says he, he brought them out. He, he delivered them. They want to go back. He, he provided for them over and over again. They complained. He promises to give them victory over their enemies. They refuse to fight when they should. They get their butts kicked fighting battles they should have never fought. He says he offered them access to this generational inheritance, but they're paralyzed by fear and they want to settle. Ugh, right? Like, come on, Israel, get it together. What is your problem? But before you get too indignant, let me just ask you, what about you? What have you done with your freedom? Are you living free and setting others free by the power of the living God that dwells within you? Or do you voluntarily take back on the yoke of slavery? Are you the dog that returns to that nasty vomit? It's gross, but it smells familiar. What are you doing with your freedom? Personally, I get it. I get it. I can relate to the Israelites. Because I feel like when I got saved, set free from an eternal hell, I know it's a little heavy-handed for 9 o'clock in the morning, but it's true. When I got set free, I wandered. I wandered for, for a really long time. And I, I set up camp in relationships that I knew it was time to move on from. I refused to, to move on from those places, those, those old wounds. I would, would refuse to move on from those old attention-seeking patterns, those old spoken curses. I wandered in the sense that I was constantly stubborn and rebellious, doing everything the hard way, refusing to trust God. I can connect with looking back on my past and magnifying all the people who had hurt me, betrayed me, disappointed me, abandoned me, abused me. I connect with all of those excuses for not stewarding my freedom. God hears all the reasons why. But I would lovingly, respectfully submit to you today. Sir, ma'am, it's time to move on. What are you doing with your freedom? Because one day you will give an account for every word spoken and every decision that you've ever made. What are you doing with your freedom? Let's move on. Question number three. Have you forgotten where you came from? <laughs> you guys, Moses is ruthless throughout his address to them, reminding them that, listen, you are not where you are right now because you were the biggest and the best. 
You are here because God loves you and he chose you, period. Let me show you in the text. Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Bible says this, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than all the other nations. It's not because you were the strongest or the toughest or the biggest. For you were the smallest of all the nations. You were the kid that gets picked last in dodgeball. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath that he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord has rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Go on to that next one, Deuteronomy chapter 9. He again tells them it's not because you're so good or you have such integrity. Another translation says it's not because of your righteousness that you're about to occupy the land. The Lord your God will drive out these nations ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath that he swore to your ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you, listen, <laughs> is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You are a stubborn people. Remember, oh, this, this, is, this one makes me uncomfortable. Remember and never forget how angry you made the Lord your God out in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until now, you've been constantly rebelling against him. Even at Mount Sinai, you made the Lord God so angry he was ready to destroy you. I hope God got that out of his system. I hope I've never made him so angry that he wants to destroy me. Although I'm sure I probably have. He says, remember and never forget. Remember and never forget. Remember. He repeats this over 30 times. Remember and never forget where you came from. Our oldest boys are at the age that John and I were when we first met. And so this has generated a lot of conversations around our house of, remember what we were doing at their age? I know. I, you already know where I'm going with this. To which every single one, I'm like, ew, no, stop. I don't want to remember that. In fact, I don't ever want to think about that again for the rest of my whole life. Thank you, Kevin McAllister. Please do not remind me of those things. But recently, you guys, the Lord's just been challenging me. Angel, never forget that girl. Never forget the desperation of a heart starving for love. Never forget the measures that you would go to seeking it out. Never forget what that cost you. Never forget that girl, Angel. Man, you guys, you see my family on a Sunday morning, maybe on social media, and you make all these assumptions, you've got all your opinions, but you don't know the journey. You make these assumptions based on our Sunday best or a highlight reel on social media, mostly my mother-in-law because she thinks her grandkids are perfect. <laughs> but you don't know how broken it was. You don't know what it cost to get here. John and I were both such a mess. His story is his to tell. But you need to know, like, just straight up, I was what 90s hip-hop would have called a ratchet hoe. I'm sorry if that offends you. Actually, I'm not. Because it's true. 
Some of you know my story and some of you don't, but man, I was a mess, you guys. I was born to a teen mom. Her mom left her, abandoned her when she was nine. She ran away when she was 15, had me when she was 17. She was an addict most of my childhood. Met God after she overdosed when I was in junior high. I grew up without a dad, with really out any, without any kind of, of positive male role models. And I was desperate for male attention. I, I really was. Was sexually exploited as a little girl. Exposed to pornography when I was about eight or nine. And I didn't realize until I was well into adulthood how much that shaped my identity. How much that shaped what I believed was good and had value in me. In fact, I lived most of my adult life believing that everything of value about me could be captured in a centerfold and sold for less than $5. My soul was bankrupt. But all of that made it make so much sense to me to exploit and to use my femininity and my sexuality to feel loved because of those formative core beliefs that were, had taken root in this bankrupt soul that I had. And then I met God. <laughs> and I wish I could tell you that it's been a fairy tale since then. I wanted to love God. I did. I just had no idea what that meant. So I just tried not to be a ratchet hoe anymore. Don't dress like that. Don't go to those places. Don't feel insecure. Don't feel unloved. Don't think like that. Just try really, really hard not to do those things anymore. It was a long, messy, painful journey that I never want to forget. Because God willing, somebody's going to need to find me some Kleenex. In my saved and partially sanctified life, I come across, thank you, baby, God willing, I come across another broken, bankrupt soul who's acting like a ratchet hoe. I want to be able to look at her, and I want to be able to see past the pain of her brokenness, and I want to be able to say, baby, I see you, and I know exactly what you need. Let me tell you about the love of a father. I think there's this real temptation to move on from the camp. Okay, it's time to move on. To taste some real freedom and then forget where you came from. And listen, maybe you don't forget to the point that you can't rattle off a juicy testimony when prompted, right? But you sure do forget on a Sunday morning when that person comes in sitting next to you reeking of alcohol from the night before and you're looking over judging them. Did you know this is the house of the Lord? You forget what it was like to be bound in addiction, you forget what it was like to love someone bound in addiction. You forget when you're at the grocery store and you see that single mom with those kids that are just acting like fools. You side-eye her like, woman, get control of those kids. But you forget that not too long ago you were the kid of that single mom. You forget when the world around you is so desperate for identity and belonging, they start redefining things you didn't even know could be redefined. And you draw this line in the sand, oh, I will never associate with people like that. You forget what it was like not to know who you are, where you belong, or what you're worth. You forget. 
Listen, I'm not saying we should embrace those things. I'm saying that the light in you should be the answer to those things. Jesus said, nobody lights a lamp and hides it. You don't put a basket over it. You have what they need. You are the answer because of the power of the living God dwells within you. Never forget where you came from. God doesn't want us to set up camp in those places, but he also doesn't want us to forget what it was like. And I think the tension between these two places really can be found in this last question. And I need you to know that this is the question that, this is the basket, if you will, that all of our eggs need to go into. Because this is the question that invites the journey. Really, it's the journey that we've been on through Jan- starting in January when we started this reading plan. And, and we're going to stay on this journey through the end of the year. There's one goal. There's one finish line. It's found in this next question. Are you falling in love with the Lord your God? Over and over and over, Moses tells them, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Believe it or not, the book of Deuteronomy has been referred to as the gospel of love. I think so often we can look back at the Old Testament and see it as this harsh contract, just a a bunch of rules and regulation, and we forget it was actually a covenant of love with this scarlet thread of redemption woven through leading us, pointing us always and forever to Jesus. The laws of the covenant established a standard and were given for two reasons, you guys so that God could be with the people and so the people could be with God. That was always God's heart, taking it back to the garden in Genesis before sin entered the world. His plan was always to be with us, to dwell among us. Why? Because he loves you and you were created to love him. The problem is is it's hard to love someone that you're separated from. Think about a baby being separated at birth from from his birth parents. And then however many years later, 5, 10, 15, 20, 45 years later, the birth parents show up and and just start talking about, I love you so much, so I want to be a part of your life. Would he just naturally ooze with love for those people? No. Why? Because he's been separated from them. He doesn't know them. Please don't miss the picture that I'm painting for you. In the same way, our sin nature separates us from God and his love, and we don't know him. For so many of you, that separation has come with this long, painful journey leading up to this place of being introduced to him, and you have so many questions. Why and how and what? And listen, it's okay. He's got all the answers. He's not put off by your questions. It does, God is not shook when you're like, why? He's like, oh, I don't want to answer. No, bring them, come, full force. He's got all the answers. I, I struggled to massage out this last point because I just kept thinking of 20-year-old me. And even talking with John this week, I'm just like, babe, I I wanted to say a million things. And he just does what he does. Angel, you're overthinking it. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. I know I'm overthinking it. (laughs) But even beyond that, I just, I want so desperately for you to get it. 
there's such a desperation in my soul to communicate it to you in a way that you would get it and not give up. Because, friend, I wouldn't trade that season of wandering for all the money in the world if I knew that ultimately it would lead me to this place. Because I can stand on this stage this morning and I can tell you with every fiber of my being that I love the Lord my God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. And you know what? Tomorrow, I'm going to love him more. And then the next day, I'm going to love him more. But today, I'm just going to do Sunday. Take the pressure off. Just do Sunday. That's all you, I tell people this all the time. Just do today. But my prayer is that every single person that I encounter would see and know the real tangible love of God. But if I, could, if I could sum up that journey, if I could make it so simple for you and encourage someone else, it would be really these, these two components. There's two main components for loving God. Learning and commitment. Oh, Angel, what about passion? What about zeal? What about happiness? What about desire? Listen, those things are the byproduct of being human and having hormones. That's not love. Those things don't cost you anything. You wake up with that. I have couples all the time. I just remember when we were dating. I just couldn't wait to be around them. I just wanted them. so. That's passion. That's because you live in a fleshly body. And it's great. I love it. I'm not knocking it. But that's not love. Love costs you something. Love requires sacrifice. It requires learning and commitment. Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're just about done, you guys. Whoever's on keys can come back up. Moses says this. He called all the people to Israel together, and he said, listen carefully, Israel, people of God. Listen carefully, people of God. Hear the decrees and regulations I'm giving you today so that you may what? Learn. So that you may learn them and obey them. Listen, we read the Ten Commandments. Do you know that there were actually 613 laws of the Old Testament? You're not going to finish that in a one-and-done setting unless you're rain man. 613. So yeah, Moses knew this is going to take some time. You have to learn them. Go to the next one. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. He tells them over and over, listen, worship only God. Do not worship other gods. Faithfully commit. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you. You must commit yourselves to these commands wholeheartedly. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. What is he saying? All day, every day. God should be a part of every part of your life. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen to me this morning. If you are treating God like your Sunday morning side piece, you will never fall in love with him. God is not our mistress that we can come to when my other lovers just aren't doing it for me. Moses tells them, your God is a jealous God and he will not tolerate being treated like that but it's gonna take learning and wholehearted commitment. The reason we don't obey God is because we don't love God. The reason we don't love God is because we don't know God. And the reason we don't know him is because we won't wholeheartedly commit. We treat him like an accessory 
one day a week. You will never fall in love with God like that. But I promise you, if you will wholeheartedly commit, you will fall in love with him. You were made by him for him. He is what your soul is craving, I promise you. But you've got to commit time in his presence every single day. Commit to learning his word. It reveals his heart and his character. As you learn it, obey it. Listen, that's not negotiable. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. It's not negotiable, but just start where you're at. Don't lose your mind about all the things you don't know. What do you know? Are you obeying that? Hit repeat. Time in his presence, learning his word, obeying what you know. Can I just warn you now though? You're gonna blow it. You're gonna blow it a lot. In fact, you're gonna blow it so much, you're gonna wanna quit, but don't. Don't quit. One last scripture and we're done. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses says this, in the future, when, somebody say when, when, not if, when you experience all these blessings and curses that I've listed for you, when you're living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, again, there's such a prophetic power here, we don't have time to go into all that. What does that mean for us? It means when you're far from God and his plans for your life. Take heart all these instructions, take to heart all these instructions. What does that mean? It means go back to his word. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all your heart and all your soul, all the commands I've given you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all of the nations where he has scattered you. Even though, listen, 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 oh, this is so good, and I, I want to close on this. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you there from there and bring you back again. That means no matter how far gone you feel, no matter how long it's been, no matter what you've done or how dark the day seems, God can still bring you back. Man! Aren't you God, glad that we serve a God of restoration? A God who always had a contingency plan to restore you to his heart. Stand with me this morning. Verse six, the Lord your God will change your heart and all of your descendants so that you will love him with all of your heart and all of your soul so you may live. Church, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you need to move on. Maybe you need to do something with your freedom. You need to start stewarding that freedom. Like John said a, past, a couple weeks ago, you need to start living free now that you're free. Maybe you need to get off your high horse and remember where you came from. Remember the generations before you and what their obedience, don't waste their obedience. Maybe you just need to wholeheartedly commit to loving the Lord your God. I want you just to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just wanna pray for you this morning. And listen, I'm just gonna pray over all of us a prayer of wholehearted commitment. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your presence and your spirit. I thank you for every heart represented in this place. God, I pray right now at the sound of my voice that every man and every woman from zero to 120, and make sure you're all included. God, that there would be such 
a restlessness in their soul to not settle for a Sunday morning mistress. But we would wholeheartedly commit right now, we repent. Lord, we repent corporately, we repent individually, we repent of our adultery, we repent of giving our love and our attention and our affection, our intimacy to other gods. And we thank you that you've always had a plan to bring us back. Father, today we humble ourselves in your presence and we humbly ask, will you have me? And to you, his answer is yes. Father, I pray a seal upon their heart. I pray a fire within their soul that would passionately pursue you all the days of their life. Give them eyes to see your truth and ears to hear the revelations of your heart. Empower them, bolden them, God. And I pray that what you put in them and what you do through them would be infectious to all the people around them. Give us eyes to see the lost and the broken and the wandering around us. We love you. We love you, God. Thank you for choosing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, our prayer team is down here. If there is anything, maybe it's something you need somebody. Listen, why are you opening the doors and leaving? I'm still talking. That is so rude. Gosh. It's like when John picks up his phone when we're still in the conversation. Oh, we're done. Okay. Our prayer team, they are here to serve you. If you need to move on from something, don't try to do it yourself. Let them minister to you in the gifts that God's given them. If you need to wholeheartedly commit, they want to agree with you in that. You guys, I love you. Be blessed this week. Now you can go. <laughs>